Dave's podcast, episode 11. Chernobyl, Italy, Game of Life, A Baby and finally back to fish. Hello, it's late 1986 and I'm still at Aldermaston. I was doing Sunday overtime and we were doing routine survey. Now, I need to get a little bit technical here. But if there is an imminent risk of contamination, you monitor all the time. If this is less likely, it may be on a weekly basis. But if it is considered extremely low, this may be only a yearly survey. Now, all the buildings in our area have the incoming air filtered. You don't want large amounts of potentially radioactive dust floating about in there. So the survey we were due to do was a yearly one. We were going to take samples of the outside filter units. So these are sucking in clean air, clean Berkshire air into the buildings. We took a sample, we took it back to the machine and tested. It was radioactive. Very low, but higher than we had expected. After tests in the next few weeks, it was found to be tritium. And it had come all the way from the Chernobyl nuclear disaster, which had happened six months earlier. But nothing to worry about there. In June 1986, Deb and I went off to holiday to Italy. At the time, we'd been trying for a baby for about a year and we were beginning to get a bit worried. But we went off to holiday and put that all behind us. We had a lovely time in Lido di Gesolo. It was very hot. As we walked down the steps off the plane, I was explaining to Debbie how that extreme hot wind was coming from the engine. But we walked down the steps and across the tarmac and got further and further away from the plane and I realised I was talking complete bullshit. But then again, you are listening to episode 11, so I'm sure you know that. Just a few stories of our time in Italy. In 1986 there was a World Cup on. I remember watching the notorious Hand of God Maradona game in the front bar with my England flag draped over me. After the game had finished, everyone was commiserating with me. So we decided to go to a nightclub to drown our sorrows. But this nightclub had TVs set all around the wall and all night all they showed was slow motion versions of this goal. It was like some kind of elaborate torture. We met a couple there. It was a typical holiday friendship. They were bikers, not the sort of people we would associate with at home. I was never into motorbikes. I had a van very early on and all my mates had motorbikes. But as soon as it rained or got a little bit cold, suddenly I was their best friend. They would phone me up and I would have to run them down the pub. Anyway, back in Italy with our biker friends, Uh, They would do this thing, they would talk about setting fire to their motorbike, to their tyres and racing off to put them out. I think it was called hot dogging, I have no idea. Anyway, it turned out they lived in Aylesbury, about 40 minutes away. They always threatened with turning up for a visit, but luckily, like most holiday meetings, it never happened. I've also always been a big fan of the police and Sting. I was always dyeing my hair blonde. On this holiday I found this sun stuff and mixed it with lemon juice and put it on my hair for the entire 10 days. 
it bleached it and dried it like a field of golden stubble. I thought it looked really cool, but I got the piss taken out of me something rotten at work. But I don't believe it did me any harm, as anyone who knows me know I have long curly hair all down my back, none on my head. While in Italy, we also went on a day trip to Venice. Part of this trip, we did a three-island tour. We went to Murano, Burano and Tocelli. One of these had glass making, one of them's made lace and one had a fancy restaurant on. But don't ask me which is which. After all, this isn't a travel podcast. But one had this stone thrown on, which had various legends attached to it. If you sit in it, one day you will surely return to Italy. And also, if you are a lady and you get married, you will have loads of children. I took a photo of Deb sitting on this throne. It's interesting doing this podcast, checking the timelines of certain things. I had always assumed that my first daughter was conceived in Italy, but now I see that it was a few months later. Luckily, the fashion started by David Beckham for naming your children after the places they were conceived hadn't really started. Otherwise, it would be Meet My Daughter, Lido Gigesolo, or just Emily Millie Mortimer. By autumn 1986, Debbie is pregnant and working in a care home in Thatcham. I'm doing loads of overtime and in regular employment now with a good job. So we decide to buy our council house. As Gay is living with us, we get the full discount under the right to buy scheme. Thank you, Maggie. We managed to buy our three-bedroom house for a whopping £30,000. Anyway, back to work. One time, I remember going off for Sunday overtime. We were covering a big engineering job, replacing some valves. But when we arrived, the job had been called off. I can't remember why, some kind of technical issue. It may have been raining. It's very difficult to monitor for plutonium in the wet. But we were there, so we spent all day in the canteen, drinking tea while playing Game of Life, the board game. I remember distinctly picking up a card that said, you're getting paid double time while sitting in the dry and drinking tea. Happy days, move on six places. But I was getting disillusioned with Aldermarston and the MOD working. I had been there for four years and I realised that a few more years with the commitment of a new mortgage and a child on the way, I would be stuck in an MOD tea break for all my life. I also knew that after five years, my pension contribution would be frozen until I retired. But before this, I could draw it out as a lump sum. So I started formulating a plan. But before this, Christmas came along. We were all going to meet up at Linda's on Christmas Day as she had the biggest lounge and indeed the biggest Christmas tree. It was Debbie's family custom that when you brought a present and had it wrapped, you put it under the tree. Gay was always ahead of the game on everybody. So by the second week of December, 
gifts started appearing under the tree. So every time we went to Linda's for a cup of tea, I could sneak in, have a squeeze and investigate our presents. But when Christmas Day came, Gay produced a small scrap of paper. On it was a code. So Debbie was Linda and John was David. So all the time we had been investigating the wrong gifts. I don't know what would have happened if she had lost this scruffy bit of paper. At Aldermaston, in a area, you had a film badge which monitored your radiation exposure. They collected these each month and you were issued with a new badge. Only once was I called in the office. Oh, Dave, you had a high reading two weeks ago last Thursday. Of course, I had no recollection of what I had done on that particular day. So your radiation exposure was accessed over a year. So say if you reached your annual level by October, you would be removed from my area. But I was never aware of this happening. The other way you were monitored was for your urine. So in the particular building you were, inside the toilet on the windowsill was a collection of tubs that needed to be filled. Some on a weekly basis and some on a monthly basis, litre-high connect containers. These, you'd have to fill them all up with urine. Mine was mostly tested for beer and southern comfort. But if you did test positive, you then went on samples for number twos. These were collected and delivered to a particular building, which, for some reason, was set well apart from all the rest. I never had to go there, but both drove past a few times very fast and never put the windows down. I have to tell you at this point, uh, you may be hearing a lot of rattling and banging. We're in the middle of Storm Agnes, one of the first storms of the year at the moment. Now, I have to tell you a really sad story. A lot of time at Aldermaston, I would cycle to work. It was only a couple of miles away. But in bad weather, Deb would drop me off at the main gate and I would walk in. On this particular day, this is what happened. Deb dropped me off and she went off with the BMW, which had just sailed through its MOT as we'd had it just over a year. At the end of the day, I walked out the main gate and there was Linda in her red XR3. By now, it hardly smelled of Southern Comfort at all and Debbie was in the passenger seat, looking a bit sheepish. She had an antenatal appointment earlier that day, and on the way home she had pulled out in front of a Ford Cortina. The BMW was a complete write-off. She was really worried of my reaction, but I said, well, it was just metal. And truth was, it was only a two-door, and would have been totally impractical for starting a family. We ended up buying a mini Metro Moritz, which had a picture of a skier down the side. But in the process of doing this podcast, I looked up BMW's 2002. Ours was a 1972, but I found a 1974 model for sale for £30,000. So by spring 1987... I was beginning to formulate my escape plan from Aldermaston. George, 
who was a family friend of Doug and Gay for many years. He had always been a key sea, sea angler. This had culminated in him <coughs> becoming a mobile fishmonger. He had a little Honda Acti van, which was the same type of van I'd had when I was at Power Gardening. He drove this round the local villages selling fresh fish. He had been talking about changing his van, and that got me thinking. But, at the f <clears throat> but first of all, there's a small matter of a baby on the way. This culminated in Debbie saying, at 10 to 3 on Saturday the 15th of May, Oh, I think I've just had a contraction. But I was going across the road to watch the cup final, which turned out to be a classic. Do you remember Coventry v Tottenham? Five goals, ended up 3-2 to Coventry, two own goals. Uh, anyway, I digress. I was only across the road, but Debbie carried on into the evening, and by 10 o'clock she was quite uncomfortable. So we decided to go into the raw barks in Reading. I'm going to limit myself here to just three stories of this birth. Uh, blood on my shirt, phone call, and I don't even smoke. One, blood on my shirt. As we went off to hospital, for some reason, I decided to wear a white full sleeve shirt. Quite early on the Sunday morning, they were putting a cannula into Deb's hand. I was standing by the bed giving support. When the needle went in, it produced a huge jet of blood which covered the front of my shirt in a gory, horror movie kind of effect. So the rest of the day, I was walking around the hospital and getting horrified, concerned looks. Story two, the phone call. At this time, there was no mobile phones. A particular time in the birth, they were worried about the heartbeat of the baby. They tried to attach a monitor to the baby's head inside the womb, which involved a long wire with a screw on the end. This was designed to screw into the baby's head, enabling monitoring of the heartbeat. After three or four attempts, they gave up. So I thought this would be a good idea to run down and give people an update on as it was now about 10pm on the Sunday evening. I went downstairs and used the hospital phone box. People were running away and screaming in front of me due to the state of my shirt. I managed to put money in the phone box. Uh, no news yet. Uh, they've lost the baby's heartbeat and the click, the phone disconnected. Ah. Oh. I went back upstairs thinking I had done a good job of keeping Gay and my sister, who had driven over, well informed. But in my tired and emotional state, I had created absolute panic and concern. But everything was okay. Emily, Millie Terry, was born one minute to midnight on Sunday the 17th of May 1987. I went home to Gay and my sister Libby uh, at about two in the morning. To their relief, Gay was a smoker then and Libby and her had been there all day. I sat there going through all the details. I was exhausted and emotionally drained. I hadn't been sat in a bed all that time. Anyway, 
Gay handed me a cigarette. I smoked half of it before going, hang on, I, I don't even smoke. Let's take a breath and do a little assessment. We had just bought our council house, so I had a new mortgage. By November 1987, Millie was six months old. I was in secure employment, I had a bit of a career and a very good pension. So it was at this time I decided it was best to start a new business from scratch. Funnily, my biggest supporter and encouragement came from my dad. He had worked his entire life in jobs I don't think he ever really enjoyed. It was something to do with computers, but he never really talked about it. He had had a brief period where he tried to be self-employed and left and joined a company called Shelvex, selling and fitting purpose-built shelving units in people's homes. He kept it going for around six months, but had to throw in the towel. He just wasn't making enough money and was having trouble paying the mortgage. I wasn't really aware of these details, as by now I'd left home and was working myself. I think my dad saw the braveness rather than the craziness in my plan. He always encouraged and supported me throughout my time, both emotionally and financially. He would lend me money for a new van and then I would pay it back over a few years. When I had a few months left to pay, he'd say, all right Dave, we'll leave it there and let me off the last few hundred pounds. So, having handed in my notice at Aldermaston, I had a whole body scan. This was in the medical centre on site. This is quite interesting, because the scan was done in a room that was made from steel sheets from the uh, First World War battleship. The theory being that it was pre-Hiroshima's nuclear bomb and not containing any background radiation. I was given the, sport, the uh, report and still have it somewhere. I had a bit of ribbing at work for going off to be a fishmonger, but I think a lot of my colleagues admired my decision. When I left the MOD, I could draw out my pension, around £4,500, and this would allow me to buy George's vans and all its fittings. The van had a, a galvanised frame with various stainless steel trays. I needed a set of spring scales, like used to get in old greengrocers, and I needed a hawker's licence. This enabled you to sell door to door. It also gave you the right to pee on your inside front wheel. This was an anomaly uh, from the days of horse-drawn coaches. I also needed some white coats and lovely blue stripy aprons. I bought a leather money satchel and a special wallet, a pair of comfortable boots and some thermal underwear and a flat cap. I had to do a food handling course. It was held over a couple of evenings. The best bit was when he produced a collection of items found in food. In various plastic containers, there was half mice, cockroaches and a bit of a finger. I opened an account with a fresh fish wholesaler in Hook, Hampshire, about 20 miles from home. The first few weeks we would have to pay cash in advance, which was fair enough. I mean, they didn't really know me. I would have to leave around six o'clock in the morning to collect my fish. George had arranged to meet me there. We could park in the warehouse 
to load and arrange our fish, wash and clean any fish we had to cut up or stake up any salmon. I had no experience of fish other than catching them and letting them go. I had, I had been mackerel fishing as a boy on a holiday in Cornwall, but my dad had done all the gutting and cleaning. I was quite happy eating them. Well, until my dad said, an hour ago these were swimming free in the sea. As part of my training, George would bring me any fish left in the evening. I would practice gutting and filleting herrings and trout. I also went out with him on his round one day, helping to gut fish and picking up any useful tips. He had been established for a number of years and had his set route and customers. Uh, he had a notebook uh, so we could write down any orders, a whole salmon, some lobsters, or if a customer said he was going to be away. He covered Mortimer and the surrounding villages and my area would be go around this in a sort of ring, which would mean a bit of driving before starting off. So I left the Ministry of Defence, Aldermaston, on a Friday. Had a sorry you're leaving card, they had a bit of a whip round and raised enough to buy a bottle of Southern Comfort. I had a week off, buying all the items I've listed. Everything was ready. As I said, and also I had a day where I went out with George. It was decided Debbie would come out with me for the first week. Gay would look after Millie. More of our invaluable support. That first week was going to be a lot of knocking on doors and writing down addresses and customer requirements. Now there was no fish on a Monday. Inshore boats don't go out at the weekend. So Monday's catch, it's not landed until Tuesday. So on a Tuesday in November, I set off early in my newly acquired van with my new David's High Quality Fresh Fish Magnetic Sign. George met me there and helped me arrange and load my van. I remember having to ask George the difference between cod and haddock. He explained that haddock had a black line and a thumbprint, which was said to be the thumbprint of Jesus when he was feeding the 5,000. He was incredibly helpful and supportive those first few weeks. Uh, George, not Jesus. When I finished loading and arranging, which took about an hour, I drove back to College Peace, had a quick breakfast, kissed baby Millie and Debbie and I set off. We drove to Thiel and picked a road and we started. We had invested hundreds of pounds in stock, a van, equipment and clothing. We had a new mortgage, a six-month-old baby. We had enough money to pay us for a few weeks and no customers. I knocked on the first door. Hello, my name is David. I've started a new business delivering fresh fish door to door each week. Would you like something? Oh, I don't, I don't know. I don't like buying things from the door. Um, but do you, do you have any place? Does she buy anything? You'll have to wait till the next episode to find out.
If you've enjoyed this podcast, you know what to do. Like it and share it. Thank you.